Welcome to Movie and a Beer, everybody. This is Dan bringing us in. And on this wonderful, wonderful episode, we watched a crazy film. There's five things in the film, but there's only four of us. Five, four, four. Is this is a... Five or four or three. What is it? Cinco de Cuatro? Is Cinco that... de Cuatro is coming up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, this is Aaron. I guess I'm your uh, Cinco de Cuatro expert. I hadn't planned that, but, but it's too perfect. I'm Blake. I'm your falling down expert. Are you falling down? Always. Mm-hmm. And this is Brian, your experimental film expert. Are you experimenting? I might be with five different beers. Yes. So yeah. this this film that we watched was based on a 1967 experimental film by Jorgen Leff. I guess he wrote and produced and directed and did all the work except for the filming part, I guess. Like he didn't do the film, the cinematography. Or did he? I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. But it's called The Perfect Human. And the movie we watched is called, and I'm going to let Aaron describe it because this is this was his suggestion. And, and while it is a good suggestion, oh, I'm going to let him get good into Good Lord. It. This is such a, okay, this is hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie we watched is from 2003. Yes. It's called The Five Obstructions. And it's a film nerd film where one director challenges his mentor and hero, another director, to remake an earlier movie in five different ways uh, with these ad hoc kind of as he comes up with them constraints. Obstructions. Mm. You might say obstructions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, with these res- creative restraints with each remake of the film. And, and but but we only see in the film itself, in what we watched, you don't see the whole like, I think it's like 12 or 15 minutes long. You only see parts of it. It's like, yeah, like the original, I think, is like this 20 minute black and white film from 1967. Yeah. And, and you see like snippets of it, different parts of it throughout the, the whole movie. Uh, I think in the like, if you have the, you know, DVD or Blu ray, then the extras, I think they got the full film. But I, I, one of the questions I've got once once we get there is like which one would you want to see the most? But um, but yeah, it, 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 part of this is Lars von Trier reaching out to his hero and you know trying to get him engaged, trying to pull him out of this like post career kind of dwaddling de- depression that he's got. De- that depression. He, he's trying to fire up the the creative juices of this person he feels is a filmmaker's filmmaker. Yeah. And I would say this film holds a really fascinating place between documentary, filmmaking masterclass, and kind of experimental film, and also Mm -hmm. personal... Like homage. Homage to his mentor. Right. right. And and Lars von Trier is is a filmmaker you've heard of before. Not necessarily his mentor. Right. Yeah. Right. So we knowing what we were going to watch ahead of time, we had asked to maybe watch this a while ago and like trying to figure out, we brainstormed a few of us, what do we do? So I had this. So we cr- went to Haiti. We went to Haiti where the guy lives. No, and then we, Cuba. Uh, and then Cuba. And then <laughs> Bombay. Indiana, Bombay. And then we drank vodka before 12. And Brussels. And Brussels. And then Brussels. Uh, yeah, right. Smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> Lots of cigarettes and cigars. Well, and there was uh, vodka too. Right? Lots of vodka. Yeah. Breakfast vodka. Coca Cola. Yeah. Yeah. And there's Coke product placement (laughs) going on in there. But so we chose the theme of IPAs and five different IPAs. One to go with, we're just doing samples here. We're just doing little taste, not full beers for each of us because that would be not a a smart way to do it. There would be no podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we at Movie and a Beer do not suggest drinking five IPAs in a row unless you are going to be safe about it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the definition of like binge, binge drinking. Binging it. Yeah. Yeah, well... 
We did you little taste. You can't enjoy a good beer yeah. if you're binging, if you're slamming them. Agreed. Agreed. In looking at the different styles, I thought, okay, so we should probably pick breweries that I know the beers from so that there's no guesswork, there's no question. It's just, does this go with it? Because we have different, there's like 12 official different subcategories to the IPA and the BJCP guidelines, which is a beer judge certification program ran by the American Brewers Association, the official categorization of beer that most people use. You don't have to, but most people do. So IPA, there's like 12 different types of IPAs that can be judged. Like you can say this is 12A or whatever the number is, I think it's 24A is the main category and then American IPA and then variants from there. Holy cow. We did... A West Coast IPA, a Midwest IPA, an East Coast hazy, a cold IPA, which is a newer style, hmm. and then a red IPA, which has been a style that's been around a little while. So we will talk more about those later and about what makes them different and what we thought about them because they were all good beers. But did they go with the what we watched? Boy, this I didn't. Question. This is one of the first times I didn't take that consideration. I was just tasting the beer to taste the beer while enjoying mm. this film. I really like this movie. Yeah, Aaron's been telling me about it for at least a couple years, right? I, I discussed it on a couple of hikes, a couple of different times, and and I think for me, part of what I love about this movie, I think this is this is where it first occurred to me that limitations, uh, like creative limitations, can actually spark more creativity. And you know, if you're a songwriter, if you're a filmmaker, if you're like a a, a, D, a dungeon master for D or D and D group, uh, some writers, if writers. If you have a prompt, but that prompt limits you somehow, it could be something that you really hate. But when you sit with it and and, and you wrestle with it, you actually can come up with something even better. Yeah, than, you, you yeah. find a creative problem-solving solution. Yeah. To that. It's what makes a lot, of, a lot of sitcoms go from good to great when they get a slash in their budget. One of my favorite jokes, and this is the one big blockbuster thing I'll talk about, in the first Deadpool, Fox slashed their budget by like something thirty thousand dollars the last big fight scene he was supposed to have big a big gun battle and they wrote into the the scene like oh he forgot his guns uh, so it's very much a very funny deadpool thing and now you just have this choreography versus this huge blowout that would have cost way more money and it takes him 15 minutes to die i mean yeah spoiler <laughs> and then he's Dan. not really dead spoiler yeah well, it's spoiler <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah maybe but well, anyway back to the five obstructions yeah yes. I, I love a i love a good restriction on a film to Make the creator so, think differently, right? So the the first movie, dear dear listener, um, it was this 1967 black and white movie. Uh, Jorgen Leth was the the Danish filmmaker that did this back in the day, and it was an experimental movie, kind of just pondering of like, w- w- what would a perfect human be, and, and putting this this person into all these different situations. Like you see them eating, you see them like getting dressed, you see them shaving, sh- yeah, shaving. falling down, like I, I made dancing. A joke earlier. Yeah. And walking around the room, a fancy meal, as yeah. it were. Yeah, I I do like a little bit of the, like the gender jokes that like the perfect yeah. man is thinking about women and how he wants women, and the perfect yeah. woman is like, uh, I'm I'm strong in spirit, but I'm so affectionate with everybody. You know, like yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but yes. this film was then remade, and the first obstruction was you know set to you you have to film it somewhere you've never been before, and you can't have more than twelve frames in a single shot. How long is 12 frames, Brian? That is a half a second. Right. 
Right. And that was tough to watch. I mean, beautiful, but my brain started to hurt. Yeah, it's skipped around a lot. He used a lot of repeat, like, back and forth yeah, shots yeah. with a little bit of progression, like mm-hmm. you would do in stop motion. Well, it, But he, he used music really artfully to motivate the, the fast-paced editing. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. he edited a lot on the beat, and he, he didn't use all of his 12 frames for every cut. Correct. Right. And I... You know, we're going to get to this later, but that was maybe my favorite of the five obstruction films. I, I mean, it was I, very it was very glitchy, though, to me. To me, it felt like, okay, I, I understand filmmaking. I understand editing a little bit to an extent. I've seen enough TV, enough different kinds of movies, enough animation, enough cartoons to yeah, yeah. have seen pretty much all the film styles that are out there. Mm-hmm. And this style, when it's used very sparingly, is effective, but the whole thing being done that way, <laughs> right. like a, a twenty-minute movie, was like a lot. That's too much. Yeah, it was. It was frenetic. It was. It was frenetic, and I, I think it really communicated like a lot of like energy and vitality. I think that's how uh, Leth kind of interpreted it and like leveraged it. Hmm. But uh, you know, you think of Cuba. You know, this this like force of life. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and you see beautiful music, bright yeah. lights, and the perfect man dancing. Classic cars, classic yeah. cars. Yeah. Smoking a, de- um, I assume, delicious cigar. I don't smoke. <laughs> and and you know, interposed with the the dancing and the cigar smoking and the you know the the shaving. Like there's shots of of the city. You know, you see like Havana kind of yeah, interspersed yeah. in all of this. And it, I mean, it sounds like really shattered and distracted and going in a million directions, and it is a a little bit right. But, but it makes it feel alive, like the Havana is alive. Right. And right. I also appreciated that in spite of this obstruction, he was able to still tell a very similar story to the original film. Right, right. Correct. And then on to the second obstruction. That one, oof. That right. Was, that was intense. That was uh, one, of the, one of the rules was he had to go somewhere he didn't want to be. The most miserable place he could yeah. think of. Yeah. Yes. And that was the one that, Lars disagreed with the most. Like mm-hmm. you cheated me. You didn't follow the rules didn't right. The you rules. weren't supposed to have any other people in well, it. Well, part and of the, that's all. Well, it the was. rule he said was like distance. Like you need to be close, but it has a distance. And Jorgen took that as well. We'll have the crowd like blurred out by a. Uh, I don't know what those are called. A, like a, a screen. <laughs> like a yeah, like a semi-opaque, translucent screen. And I like that. I like that take on it. Like you, you do seem like you're so close, but then. Uh, I yeah. think Brian mentioned the, the commentary on it. In the original film, he has a moment where this guy's eating a very elegant dinner. Mm-hmm. And so for this obstruction, most of the movie was him eating this elegant dinner in the red light slums of Bombay, India. Yeah. Right. So he had this distance between him and the, the poor the, residents, the underprivileged mm-hmm. residents with this this uh, like saran wrap yeah, frame yeah. Right. and i actually think as he envisioned it was far more impactful than the way lars wanted him right lars didn't want any background he just wanted him in the uncomfortable place mm-hmm. but this version of the film became a class a, a, a social commentary a social commentary on class i, mm-hmm. I agree i think mm-hmm. lars wanted to see jorgen leth in, in like a really uncomfortable position of like what 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 do you feel what do you experience emotionally and how are you challenged by your ethics to have this extravagant lobster dinner in the middle of this destitute street in Bombay? 
and and you can kind of see on his face like you as can he, see that on his face yeah he does I, not look comfortable right but i think it's much more impactful because you see the background for the audience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean it actually elevated this short this right. portion of the short film within the feature film but i think it was so, the most dynamic in the fact that it made him because he had to play the perfect human Lars had to actually yeah, partake. He, he, said, he was in front of the camera mm-hmm. instead of behind it, and that's really hard for directors. Yeah, I'm much more comfortable just telling him what to do. Yeah, right. uh, he, yeah. he did at one point say like this was the original actor. I think it was was it Klaus Nielsen was the yeah. This is like his role. He owns it. I'm just borrowing it. You know, like I'm just right. You know, but I also think too, like Brian and I agree that if uh, if it was kept to the original intent that Lars Von Trier had, we would have no idea. That this was filmed in Bombay, yeah. It, amidst all this, this you know, it could have been dispossession. A, f- a fixer upper in That's some true. other city, yeah, right. with, without the people in it, the right. abject poverty. I wonder. It would have just been a, a fancy meal in front of a building. Yeah, in front of like a white, it been a, a white set. wall. It could have been a set, and yeah. and like you're the, I think maybe, and you'd wonder why the filmmaker. Is so, so pain in his face, right? Mm-hmm. But now you know. Now you're in on the secret because right. he's allergic to fish, and that was. <laughs> and I think that was part of what Lars rejected, or you know, Mr. Von Trier said. You know, you cheated. You know, you, you made it right. easy, but then and that it sh- shouldn't have been easy visually. But that led into a torn for this being my favorite or the fourth one. It led into one of my favorite of the the obstructions, which is, if you're not going to do it my way, do whatever you want. Yeah, he said either go back to right. Bombay or do a do a segment with all, no rules, no rules, with no rules. That, and Jorgen that's was, your rule, and Jorgen was scared. He's like, "No, can I have anything to hold on to? No, some creative no, hook, some creative hook. No, can I get some creative prompt. You you got nowhere to start. You have the full empty sandbox. And I actually really liked that one because it yeah. was very modern. It right? was kind of like mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah. The the two the two screens split uh, screen side, like, activity. There was a lot of split screen. Right, and and. I like this one the least. Well, no, mm. the the final one I like the least, and we'll get to that. Yeah, the, it's me. I agree. I agree. But uh, this one it was I don't remember if it was Brussels or Paris. That it was uh, Brussels. 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 Yeah. yeah, it didn't feel like a remake of the original. It feel, felt almost like its own thing. To yes, me. kind of a sequel asking some of the same questions about yeah. what's a perfect person, what's a perfect life. Correct. Yeah. So animation. They the, all yeah. hate cartoons. So that might have been one, my favorite. The fourth one, yeah, they all hate. Car- they call them cartoons in this derogatory they've never, way. They've never seen one they liked, and and I remember the animation one and being blown away by it at the time, like back in the day, and like how inventive, like visually, just the way that it was arranged on the screen. Like cause sometimes it's like a comic book, and yeah. sometimes it's like um, not a comic book at all. But they, they really play with, I think, the, the space on the screen and how it yeah, is. And, and, and so calling it a cartoon doesn't really describe what this this film is. No, it's, right. it's an animated it, short. They, it's, well, it's an animated short. The, the style they used is rotoscoping, which is where you shoot live action and then animate the frames. But they layered several frames from the three previous mm-hmm. Iterations, iterations yeah. mm-hmm. along with some original. new original film. The, yeah. uh, the gentleman taking his coat off and putting and, it back and, on over and, and over. And they did some some frames as if it were a graphic novel or a comic book yep, mm-hmm. yep. within there. Yeah, And I think all four of us, 
this might be our favorite right. version. I think because it was the most visually striking and yeah. it did while it tried to sort of tell the same story and you knew because you'd seen the other ones. If we had not seen the other ones and you had only seen that, you'd think, oh, that's kind of interesting, but it's really disjointed. There's not a lot of continuity between what's being represented. But having seen scenes from the original, it makes it made a lot of sense. Yes. I, yeah, I would I would agree with Dan. I really appreciated like Jorgen Leth's reluctance that you know he he hates cartoons. He doesn't want to do this. He he's not interested. And then like you can see that once he starts working on it, well, once he meets the animator, once he's got his a product, creative fire is lit. Yeah, he, he and, becomes and it's proud also of it. kind of. Screw you, Lars von Trier. I'm going to make the best the best version yet. Right, yeah. and because it does. neither of us want to do a cartoon. Right, <laughs> but it, it, to me, it's fascinating that somebody like you know they start out with this uh, you know stubbornness maybe or this um, I'm going to say like this denigration of of animated films. Yeah, and by doing it. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think he came around. I think he came to like. To I see, think like, both of them did. Right. They saw it and they're like, "Wow, I really like." Wow, that. this yeah. is creative. Right? We can yeah. Do yeah. This. Yeah, because there's there's films that have subsequently been made that were done live, and then rotoscoped out. Like mm-hmm. there's software that just converted it over, but you still have to, com- you know, there's yeah. still editing and there's still everything yeah, you have to I think do. A scanner darkly is like the most well known. Of like the more modern era, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lord of the Rings, the Ralph Bakshi version right, in right. '78. Yeah, was that's true. Very rotoscoped. Yeah. What Go was on. the? There was a, a a movie we watched for the podcast um, that was released, I think, maybe a month or two before Star Wars, and I think it was like something Wizards. It the, Wizards. Uh, Wizards, Wizards was the Wizards. Wizards. Also Ralph Bakshi. Uh, yeah, yeah. His film right before Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah, I was th- thinking about, uh, you know, that that movie a little bit, like the animation style it, that it had. I remember it being really creative. Um, and, and, you know... So, yeah, I might, it might be a forerunner. I'm, I'm sure the animator they hired to help with this obstruction... Uh-huh. Wait, was was that seen Bakshi's work? Was that yeah. in America? Did they say where he went to meet the animator? Texas, I think. Austin. Austin That's Texas. right, right. I made the, the animator in there, Austin, right. Texas. Yeah. I love seeing Jorgen meet all these new people and and get different experiences right. from his like go self- to other craftsmen, other filmmakers, yeah, and, yeah. and pull them into his, his creative universe. Right. Yeah. It was obstruction. <laughs> the fifth and final. All of us are wincing because it's it's, it's the, probably the one we all uh, like the least, and it's very much this letter from uh, Lars to Jorgen. It's yeah. very it's a very like, like personal. I appreciate it. I mm-hmm. it yeah. wasn't my favorite. It's but it, it's this, but it's it's this week. it's Lars's take his remake of the Perfect Human, right? Yeah, right. Which but has been Jorgen the whole time. Yeah, right. But it's really just a love letter to his mentor. Yeah, right. And it it, it it's it's lovely. But it kind of it should be cut in half. Yeah, the obstruction was, it was really the, long. The obstruction was Lars had to be the narrator and just be handed the script. No, no, oh, Jorgen, 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 well, Jorgen, Jorgen, yeah, Jorgen had yeah, to read Lars the script. Said, Lars wrote I'm, it. I'm doing this one. Right. Yeah. You're going to read a script I write. I'm yeah. going to put your credit you, on it. Like, yep. like I'm director. directing it, but you're going to be credited for it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is the ultimate release of any control while he can control. And they filmed, part of it was filmed of them actually doing some of the voice recordings. And he said, oh, you're phrasing that in a way to get yeah, around yeah. what is actually <laughs> trying to be said. I see what you're doing there. All right. Which, you know, if, if, if he's a smart guy, he, he would do that. Because yeah. he's like, I want to put my spin on it. Of course, he's an artist. Right. 
But I, so, I think one of us yeah. had said too, of like at this point, it's like it's just two buddies like effing around with each other, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, no, they, trying trying to one up each other, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, dig at each other a little, which is exactly what it was. Yeah. Oh. Wow. But overall, other thoughts. Other thoughts. I, if you're a film nerd, see this film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This it, is was, a it was wonderful. Really enjoyable for anyone who likes films. Yeah, if you if you have some knowledge of filmmaking and the process and what directors go through, what writers go through, how it's all sort of put together because there is some behind the scenes footage. So the last one was a compilation of the documentary style filmmaking they did of the making of the other four. Mm-hmm. So it was just that compiled together, which included cuts of the animation as well as all the different kind of interactions that they had while they were looking at it and then challenging them. Yeah. And and I thought, again, yes, there was a lot of Von Trier in the last one, which is mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah. oh, what's the point? Not necessarily. And, and I'm going to put my words down. On for, my, I'm going to speak the words. Everyone. It's not for everyone. It's not a that. short film done five different ways with each remake requiring more and more challenging boundaries upon which they are created and or filmed. This film is for film nerds, not for the casual viewer, period. I mean, if you are just a casual, like I'm a casual viewer, I'm I'm the odd one out here. It was a little boring. This is no space opera. This is no Marvel. (laughs) This is is a documentary. This isn't Fast and Furious. This is a documentary, people. So basically, it's a documentary. I mean, it is is a filmmaking, as as Brian mentioned, kind of a masterclass. It's like, this is how you break down someone's approach to filmmaking in different ways and how you then highlight and find where the holes are and then plug them with other approaches. Although I would watch a Jorgen Leth-directed Fast and the Furious. Yeah, <laughs> it would not be so fast and not be so furious. It would probably be really slow. It'd be a smoldering kind of anger. Yeah. Like it told through some text as a man uh, uh, over several shots drinks a quart. Uh, uh, I was gonna think, like in, well, yeah, several uh, like several shots are just in a, a cafe somewhere, and he's got this hot coffee that he stares at. <laughs> And then it zooms the, the in word, on his eye. The word, and then the word family. Just, and then a and fast then, car drives by. <laughs> <laughs> the word family is interposed over the, the, the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this. I love all of this. Yeah, so. We're, we're no. going to make that film. We're, you can edit it, Brian. You know how. The rest of us are going to be like, hey, he has a new iPhone. We can do it in cinematic mode. Dan pointed to me, listeners, because this is an audio medium. We can't see what we're doing. I know. Aaron, stop juggling those chainsaws and sit down. <laughs> but it's fun. Yes, it is. <laughs> Funny, funny. So, uh, so we had five obstructions. A movie. Yes. Um, it's it's already definitely for film nerds uh, or for people that want to watch a movie on creativity and the yeah, creative yes. process. But uh, we tried um, while we're watching this this movie that's the you know the same film with you know five different expressions. We drank five beers that are very different expressions of the same basic beer. Yes. Uh, and so I, I was going to ask, like IPAs, they have a lot of iterations. There's a lot of variety of IPAs out on the marketplace. Yes, it's it's, usually, it's often used the way that people say Kleenex for tissues or Band Aid for adhesive strip. Like some people, a lot of people just say, they'll just say, "Oh, IPAs to mean craft beer." Yes, it's it's ubiquitous at this point because there's so many different styles, and you're just like, "Hey, just give me an IPA. I don't care which one. Just give me one." Because you expect it to be hoppy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It should be, in theory, based on the rules and governing body of the, the BJCP program that has what is beer and how is it labeled and then not how it's labeled, but how do you classify it? And it should be above 6% at a minimum. Mm-hmm. And it should contain enough hops that it's more hoppy than malty. Yeah. 
Because pale ales, which is what it's based off of, were that way, mm-hmm. where it's more malt than hop. You can have a hoppy pale ale that's like 5%, and you're like, oh, that's just like an IPA light. And that's exactly the point. It's oh. an alcohol. It's an ABV is a differentiation. Now, there's specific like expectations to have for the coloration, the amount of alcohol that's in it mm-hmm. at a minimum, the the aromas and the, the types of hops you're using should at least include certain kinds. The malts themselves, now IPAs, again, there's dark ones, there's light ones, there's now cold lagered ones, so they're going to be a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a completely different aroma and approach because while you're using all the same base ingredients, you're using a different yeast. It sounds like a lot of hop structions. It is. There's a lot to talk about, but we're not going to get lost in the weeds. I'm going to try not to get lost in the weeds. Uh, We're going to keep this short and simple. With these three guys, you're (laughs) surely going to get lost in the weeds. Yes. (laughs) Right. I'm going to take my teacher hat off for a moment and just read what Lagunitas IPA is. The first one we tried with the first iteration. So I picked out, we actually have more beers in the fridge than iterations. Mm Mm-hmm. But I chose appropriately based on we went West Coast, Midwest, East Coast. Then we did cold. a cold IPA, which mm-hmm. is, again, the newer style or, or IPL, India Pale Lager. And then a red. And then a red. A red IPA, which at some point was called a, an India Red Ale, but they kind of are walking away from that a little right, bit. Right. Good. And they're just <laughs> calling it a red IPA, which is an official subclassification. I have made a red IPA before, so, so it's legit. This first one then, uh, the Lagunitas, we were watching with the, the Cuba expression of yes. the, the movie. This is a 6.2%, 51 IBU. This is when you look at the justification or the language used for what the American IPA is. This is actually listed as one of the primary examples of what an American IPA should be. Really? Yes. Oh, so it's kind of a benchmark. Uh, it is, very much so. This beer's been around for a long time. It's the perfect IPA. It is. <gasps> the perfect IPA. Watch as it dances and eats uh, lobster dinner. <laughs> and It's all just you pouring it on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. So I, I was chatting with Brian before y'all got here about the types of hops that they he use. He was. So the, the sea hops. So you have Cascade Centennial Chinook and Citra. And there's a few other ones out there. And Simcoe tends to also be thrown in there, but it starts with an S and not a C, but it's a derivative of the others. The pine notes, the citrus notes, not floral. You shouldn't get much floral, but you're definitely going to get maybe some juicy activity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to taste like citrus. Citra hop being the main one that does that. The others, not so much. You're you're also going to get like typically an IPA is going to have typically the West Coast and traditional IPAs have a piney hit to them. And that's going to come from the Cascade and Centennial. The Chinook is going to give you some of that vegetal activity, but not as much. Based on the hop profile you use and the malt profile you use within certain parameters of like, okay, I can get away with getting a certain dark color, mm-hmm. but that's why they created all the substyles. Red IPAs, brood IPAs, hazy IPAs, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on and on and on. Because people started experimenting and doing variations on them, and they're like, enough people do it, then there's enough examples of it, we can then make an official classification for it for judging purposes. It's really hard to take a red IPA and say, hey, is that the same as this standard American IPA? Hmm. Well, it's going to taste somewhat similar. It should have the same malt characters and should have the same amount of hot presence. It may not be super bitter or less bitter, but it's a different color. Right. But it's still an IPA because it still fits within those boundaries. That was the whole thing with us trying these five different styles because it's like it's all IPA 
and they all do taste like IPA. If you've had IPA before, these are all classified and really good examples. All of them were pretty decent. We didn't have one of those New England juice bomby ones. The East Coast IPA was just a hazy and not a big juice bomb, which has mm-hmm. been really popular over the last two years. I wanted to steer clear of that because those destroy your taste buds. Mm-hmm. And we really didn't want to do that. Kind of blows, blows out your palate. Exactly. So any thoughts on this Lagunitas? As as Brian had mentioned before the film, when I, or when I was bringing it out, it's like, hey, I've had that a few times. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's it's been around a while in California is where it's from. So... Yeah, I, I remember there was like a real strong hop profile, um, especially to start. I, I did yeah. get some of that like kind Very of pine. pine. Yep. But over time, that pine, uh, maybe just as it warmed up, like the pine receded for me a little bit and it got to be a little bit more like fruity. Yes. Uh, if, if, if I remember that one. I mean, f- five is a lot for me to try and hold my memory from. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a lot of different beers that, that have distinct characters, characteristics, but they all fall again. Within the world of IPAs. It's all IPA. I mean, because yeah. it's, it's got a certain amount of hop presence. The malt's a little different, but hey. Yeah. I feel I mean, like I've, I... I would say they all taste a little bit different. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I can't describe nor hold five yeah. flavors. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm not expecting anybody <laughs> right. to, but yeah. No, I have uh-huh. all the notes in front of me, so I'm cheating. But yeah, I think as a standard, as a baseline, I was like, let's get the most standard baseline. Yeah. Of like, right. yeah. yeah. So, something to... I, to uh, gauge the others yes, off of. Correct. Th- this is what I think of, like when I think IPA, like this type yeah. of hop forward presence is what I what I imagine. I think like, I think Blake, you said, oh wow, you know, because you smelled it and you're like, there's some pine there. there yeah, there's, there's some the smell, acidity. The smell hits you real hard, and then the taste didn't seem as bad after the smell. Correct. I the, taste, okay. the taste did not follow the, the aromatics, which mm-hmm. is again a style of making beer where you can have something be more aromatic forward and mm-hmm. then the flavors are more gentle or the other way around where it doesn't smell a lot or it smells completely different. Like last episode, we had yeah. a French grape beer that smelled like dirty socks but right. didn't taste like it at all. Yeah, yeah. It was, so, it was it was terrible until you tasted it. And then once yeah. you tasted it, it was like, it was really good. Well, like, wow. What was the second beer we had? I so genuinely can't recall. The well, second you, one, you were nice enough to pour them into glasses for us. Mm-hmm. So yes. all I just saw was my yeah. glasses Again, full. people, we did taster <laughs> size pours. We did about a one and a half to two ounce pour of each. We're, we're like, we need to get through all these. And I poured them into glasses because if you're going to do tasters, don't do it out of the can. You want to be able to get at least some foam or some head in the glass. That way, the aromatics, because mm-hmm. when the foam bubbles pop, that releases the aromatics. This is the, the same reason that people get so uh, worked up about the shape of a wine glass. Correct. Is, is how does the air flow over the surface? How does it aerate? How does it? How do those uh, volatiles leap into the air as you're drinking it? And how do you experience that through your nose? I, I personally prefer a, a rhombus-shaped wine glass, to be honest. Yes, rhombus. I have an interesting or trapezoid. Big cancer upstairs, but we're not going to talk about that now. <laughs> but this, Blake this has seen it. Second one. Uh, so, Blake, if you'll read us the... Bell's Two-Hearted IPA. So, Bell's hmm. is out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. That's it. <laughs> that's a 60 IBU, 7%. But do you want to read what else is on the can, or did I already read everything on the can? I think you read I mean... There's a trout on the... There's go- a big trout. Government warning, according to Surgeon General, that's not very interesting. No. So, this was named after the fishing waters in Michigan's there, Upper Peninsula. Yeah, there's no fun little speech oh, on it. Oh, it's a Uber beer. It's a Uber beer. The Two-Hearted is an American IPA brewed and dry hopped with 100% centennial hops. So, again, the big C. Uh, it, this is one of Bell's best-selling and widest distributed. We didn't get it on the West Coast up until about a year ago. It wasn't available here, and someone decided to bring it out. 
I think this one might have been my favorite. Yeah. I feel like I, I, made it I really enjoyed game. this. Yeah, yeah. But so, it may have been following the super piney Lagunitas. Yes, right. right? So like, this is this is going to be more citrus grapefruit than pine. Mm-hmm. So the pine is really I, I subtle like on the back. Yeah. There is a lot of grapefruit, a lot of citrus activities. Right. Uh, Centennial is going to give you those three big. Uh, the pine kind of is always a secondary. It's going to be more of an herbal or vegetal type and not necessarily pine in and of itself. But that is, again... Those big C's are really important when you're talking about IPAs or IPAs as they're commonly referred to. So the, the, the juiciness that we sort of experience, it's that the acidity that reminds us of different fruit. Correct. And then I would say also too, like I meant to try and keep track of like what was the viscosity of like how heavy were, were each of these as I was drinking them. But they're pretty similar. They were like, all very, very similar. Even the hazy one, which we're going to talk about next, yeah. while it was hazy in color, it wasn't hazy on the mouth. Right. Yeah. It, it looked hazy. Threw me off. But it didn't. It just was a very smooth, similar malt characteristic. It looked thick, but it wasn't. It did not have two C's. Now, yeah. oh. what an obstruction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on to number three. Any any last thoughts on? I really bills? enjoyed this one, and maybe it's my palate being being Midwestern also, but. Um, the, the fruit, the fruit forwardness of this, I thought was really, really nice. Um, I, I thought everything was nicely balanced in, in, in like the different flavors that, you know, the malt was like there, but it wasn't very forward. I guess it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the same kind of resinous IPA hop bomb yeah. that, that, uh, I've been traumatized by in the past. <laughs> Correct. And we're, we, we've we, all been traumatized we'll, we'll by We'll talk about Aaron. that here in a little bit when we get to number four, but for number three, Brian, anything before we move on to the Sweetwater? No, I, I enjoyed that one. It, it, yeah. uh, Felt much lighter than the first one. Yes. So on to number three, Sweetwater Brewing. This is H-A-Z-Y with periods between each of the letters. The pursuit of haziness. We endowed this with a straight up juice bomb with a double dry hop of Mosaic Citra, Eldorado, and Azaka for a blast of mango, stone fruit, lime, and other pine aromas. More like a juiced firecracker. It was. It's not a, a a mirage, but it's a tasting, refreshing oasis in your pursuit. Of Is it weird that when Dan said mirage, my brain immediately went to sabotage by the Beastie Boys? <laughs> <laughs> so these guys have been open since '97, been around a long Whoa. time. They're out of Atlanta. Uh, I applaud Ooh. them for being around, and the the can is just pretty straightforward. Just says hazy IPA on it with some nice kind of colors. It's a forty five IBU, six point two percent. Again, Mosaic and Citra, those are your your standard IPA hops. The Eldorado and Azaka are what are going to give you that mango and stone fruit and lime. It's just going to be. It's, it's meant to be a juice bomb, but it's not anything like the hazy New England-style IPAs that we have suffered through in the last few years. This is just a hazy that has some juicy characteristics to it, but it's not overdone, so which I, feel, I really like. I feel like this would be a better choice for a warm summer day versus a regular hazy. Cause I, I do like a hazy IPA, but they're just it's a lot. It's way too much. It's usually my one beer if I'm going somewhere. Like, All right, this is the one beer I'm having tonight. Correct. There is, I think, something to be said for something like this beer that originated the hazy craze. This probably existed before the New England styles have been around. This beer is one of their core beers that they distribute all the way to the West Coast. Holy cow. So I assume I'm making an ass out of you and me, but I'm going to guess that this style of beer that they're making has been around longer than the New England juice bomb. So it's like, let's make an interesting hazy beer, but hey, everybody else is just doubling and tripling up yeah. on the Eldorado and Azaka to kind of 
give it really that punch that I'm going to hit you upside the head and in your mouth and it's going to be super dry that and it's going to just taste. it's going to be rank <laughs> like rank. old rank. old <laughs> I juicy big juice bombs to me are, are ranky they don't they're not pleasant I don't I don't like to do them you guys have any thoughts on this one like rotting fruit yes in the sun but uh, this this beer did not taste like rotting fruit to me it was juicy it wasn't super juicy yeah i mean uh, i i caught a little mango in there yeah yeah but it was it wasn't abhorrent so a predecessor <laughs> to the big juice bombs yeah yeah it's got it's the second beer tonight that had a fish on the can <laughs> correct it, it actually it, it, to me it seems it's almost like you know an established outfit has seen some of these avant-garde beers and is saying like okay i'll take the good parts of this crazy cutting edge stuff that's being done and you know some some concessions been made to to the juiciness, but it's not going to be your like Andy Warhol like on the cutting edge of juice. Aaron, I see what you did there, and I raised you Lars von Beer. <laughs> I was tying it in. I mean, thank it was you. nice. Yeah, it was yeah, nicely yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. Nicely done. What was the fourth beer? Because I think I like this one too. Yeah. So this is the most hybrid of the styles, which was the animation. That we watched yeah, the remake, yeah. which is completely the different. The fourth obstruction and the fourth beer, mm-hmm. and, and so, there is an animated thing on the, the beer label is. too. It, it, I, it works on multiple it levels. Ties it, together. It tied together very well. So we this definitely is, did that on purpose. Uh-huh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, check your cold IPA by Gigantic Brewing in collaboration with Upright. So Upright, which we had recently, I like them. Uh, does some crazy open fermentation dark lager checking check uh, open fermentation funky stuff right so they did a collab and gigantic makes big beers they also do some really nice pilsners and lagers yeah 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 so for them to collaborate it's kind of like best of the best so they the the term cold ipa was not terribly new the India Pale Lager, or IPL, has been around a long time. It's the same thing. You're taking a recipe that uses ale yeast, and instead you're using a lager yeast, and you're lagering it. You pitch it cold, you lager it for a month, and then you bottle it or can it or serve it in a keg or whatever you're going to do. But it has like the same overlay of hops. Correct. Like kind yeah. of on this base recipe. So this cold IPA actually is meant to have – some questionable hops in it. It uses Czech saws, not just the traditional. It does have Mount Hood and Crystal, which are West Coast, Northwest style IPA hops that you can use. They're not the big C's, but Czech saws is a really well-known and fairly much everybody uses them if you're making a European style Pilsner. Hmm. You're either using German Pilsner hops or you're using Czech saws hops. So this is also called a Czech lager. They, they really check your head IPA is what they're calling it. So it's kind of like they're saying, hey, it's kind of check oriented, but it's not. And it uses a West Coast IPA malt body. It's, I can't read anywhere. I looked a bunch and I it, it just says that it's kind of Pilsner hops, but not Pilsner malts because it does yeah. have a fuller body. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it. There's definitely more to it than when you get yeah. just a Pilsner. I'll get a Pilsner if I want to have something with like dinner. But th- this, it feels like a, a pumped up pilsner, like, yes. like, like yeah, boosted. Yeah, I, I would say that it it kind of lingered on the back of my tongue for a while after. Really? I, yeah. Yeah. I got, I got a bit more lemony hits on it, which is common in pilsners. But I think that's just because of the Czech saws. That's the type of profile it gives you. The kind of herbal, 
almost grassy lemongrass. You know, lemongrass as a as a something you're going to put in a dish is going to give mm-hmm. you some sharp flavor. Yeah. And this one had that, but it was also alongside all the regular traditional pine flavors that you would get with an IPA. So very confusing hybrid style. Right. Thank you for making good beer gigantic. And, and you know, all the people that were involved in this, I applaud you for making something new and unique. I never, I enjoyed this beer, but I never, if I was blind tasting it, never would have guessed IPA. Oh yeah, same. It, yeah. it, it doesn't have the same hop profile. Uh, I mean, th- there is some hop there, there, but it's kind of this herbal, floral, uh, it, uh, to me, it seemed like a um, kind of a different animal than, than the other ones that we had. Which uh, I, I, I would agree with that. It, I mean, it, there yeah. was de- I, I couldn't describe why, mm-hmm. but it it was different. It, it didn't it, have like the pungency. Of yeah, that kind of stayed around a little bit more for me, right. at least. It, it's it's fortunate it synced up with the movie the, that way because the animation was so different from the other five obstructions. Uh-huh. And this kind of stands out as being you know IPA like almost IPA in quotes. Like beautiful and distinct as kind of each, each like, like a woman in a car smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Pretty um, much rolling the window down, speaking in French and then rolling it up and driving away. Uh, may we monsieur. Yes. So there was a fifth obstruction and there was a fifth beer. Uh, the fifth beer, we kind of rounded out with Dawn of the Red IPA from Ninkasi Brewing, which is out of Eugene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we didn't really talk about where they, so Gigantic, the one previously is out of Portland. Portland. Stillwater's out of Atlanta. Bells is out of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Michigan. Michigan. And then Lagunitas is out of California. So we're kind of going across the country and coming back. Dawn of the Red, been around a long time. Used to be called an India Red Ale, but they changed it back to being a Red IPA because it fits that category more closely than a Red Ale. Red ales tend to be bigger in body mm-hmm. and more wet cardboard or more caramel malt that's going to be sugary and sweet. This one, not as much of that, but it does have some of that. It's darker in color than a traditional IPA, 66 IBU, 7% ABV. It, it does have a lot of hoppiness to it. It is dry, really dry, I think. Uh, mango, papaya, and pineapple are a little bit floaty there with those juicy hits, but overall... It, it does have some pine and citrus hit that just really speaks to the West Coast style, and it's just red in color. I didn't get any of the citrus stuff. I, in, I might be biased. I don't like Nikazi that much. I like most breweries. I've never had a beer from Nikazi I was like over the moon about. I'll drink it, and I'll think, okay, I know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I want another one after this. You, I, you do remember that we did an episode that we drank a beer that had gone to Space and Back from Nikazi. Is that, is that who that was? Yes. Yeah, they're trying a little too hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, when you said that, it's like, oh, yeah, we did an episode I forgot about that, was, I forgot that, that was included Nikasi. the moon, boot, the, the beer that had been to space, the yeast went to space and came back, and then they yeah. made beer with it. It's like what? collector's edition. I, think I remember uh, Tricera Hops, I think, is yes. the, the, what I think of, when I think of Nankasi, Tricera Hops is one of the beers. And like, it's well made. It's well done. There's a. It's very hoppy, as you might imagine, from yeah. a. Beer it's for, name it's for hop heads. And it, yeah. yeah, it's not to my taste. Uh, I'll say, but it, it's a good example of a very hop heavy beer, uh, and you know, well well made. I'm trying to think. Uh, there's others from Nikasi I know I've had that I've enjoyed, but they do like their hops. It seems. Yeah, they make a decent uh, stout and a decent porter that I've had. Those are not as commonly found. To speak to where these were purchased, these were all purchased out of Fred Meyer 
uh, here in Portland. So these are all nationally distributed. Most of them are all nationally distributed or at least West Coast distributed for Nkasi and for Gigantic. Mm-hmm. The Lagunitas, the Bells, and the Sweetwater, those are nationally distributed. So you should mm-hmm. be able to find those pretty much all across the U.S. at the what? at a decent bottle shop or package store. If you have a grocery store that specializes in good beer or has a big aisle of it. The uh, Bells in particular has a note that don't uh, to not litter if you happen to be in Puerto Rico. So it seems yeah. it's deli- it's uh, distributed there. It's 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 out there. Five different beers, five different obstructions. You know, I think all of these lended themselves a little bit uh again, we we weren't drinking full beers. We only had about, you know, a one and a half to two ounce pour of each simply because there were so many. I think this was a good approach to the film. Agree, agree. Different things. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the intent. I, I don't know if any of them matched up fairly well or not because, as Blake said, I was more watching what was going on the screen because we had subtitles on. The whole film, except for very few scenes, are not in English. So mm-hmm. make sure you watch it with and, subtitles. And it's also engaging. I mean, yeah. you, this, right. you can't have on in the background. No, right? no you no, have no, to pay no, attention. You've got to watch this we, film. We had to pause a few times for breaks, and it's just like, oh, uh, yeah, no, we're, you, you can't just leave and hop back you're gonna out. Miss, hop back you're going to miss something. So hop. Oh, that, hop nicely hop, done. Hop in, nicely hop done. Hop. All right. So any other thoughts on the film or these beers? I will say uh, I, I enjoyed all these beers, but I think kind of like the rest of us, I was I was so focused on the movie I wasn't really judging which beer matched it the best. I was judging yeah. which beer did I like. I was trying to you know keep track of what I was tasting, but yeah. it was it was too much. For so me which, to, which was your favorite then? I really liked the Bells, the two the two harder IPA. It struck yeah. a, a nice balance of like there was some hop there, but it wasn't uh, as forward. Um, it's also, this is a, a brewery that I've never had anything by before, to, not to my knowledge. So. Yeah. Again, they, they just started distributing to the West Coast about a year, year and a half. During the pandemic, they started showing up and were like, where'd these come from? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd had them on the Midwest, in the Midwest, in the East Coast, but never past Denver. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the cutoff point. And I'm glad they're out here because they do good stuff. All right. Blake? I think my favorite is the Gigantic. Like, I think that was my favorite. I love this movie. I've been meaning to watch it for a while. I'm glad I got to watch it with friends who mostly, I'm not throwing any shade in, who mostly enjoyed it. And it, ma- it makes me want to learn more about film. I went to, I, I was a film minor in, in college because I love cinema and movies and all that stuff. And I didn't know that. I thought you were just oddly obsessed with movies. I be, I'm, well, odd, I'm oddly obsessed. That's why, I, that's why I minored because I'm oddly obsessed. It's like I want to watch it anyway so I might as well write about it and talk about it. I can never do a name that tune but I love a, a good round of framed trying to figure out a movie in five scene shots. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd like it. I think Gigantic and Upright did a pretty good collaboration. All right, Brian. Thoughts? Uh, I love this film. I'm going to search out the original uh, The Perfect Human yeah. to watch all the way through by myself. As far as beers go, the Bell's uh, Two Hearts IPA, yep. that was my favorite by far. Well, not by far. It edged out Gigantics a little bit. But all in all, I I had a great night. Cool. I, I, I will say that I'm really, really torn between three of them. Oh, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say one is better than the other when they all stand stand really well on their own. Do you have a favorite though? I, I would say the gigantic right now because it's different, and IPL is the hotness right now. And you pay a loggers or you know what they call a cold IPA. That's everyone is experimenting with that right now. IPA loggers are fetch. They're so it, fetch right it now. It is. It's like it does it. It does it justice. 
without being, you know, just a trend. It's like, wow, this beer, they should just keep making this beer because this is really good. It crosses two styles together that typically you wouldn't be able to, but hey, they're doing great things with weird yeast and they're doing, you know, lagering in a really well productive way that doesn't kind of take too much away from what the stylist should be. I think it's a nice blend. So first we had uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Now check your cold IPA. Yeah. Check your, yeah. As always, you know, thank you for hanging in there and listening. Um, the opinions expressed during the taping of this recording are those of the hosts. And I want to, you know, say thanks to all the friends and family that give us feedback on this. And if you do have any feedback, give it to us because we're looking to expand and explore and we're going to try to get to the theater here in the near future and actually do some movie and a beer out of it. You know, we're going to record here, but we're going to go see a theater showing and and try to actually get back to our roots where we used to actually see films. We're going to live commentate in the theater and get banned from the theater. (laughs) Or just to get shit thrown at us as, you know. Yeah. Which, yeah. which may happen. Lars von Trier will show up and say, all our commentary has to be in a foreign language. <laughs> <laughs> Go make melancholy again, you weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this is Aaron. Thanks for listening. Uh, and thanks for being the, the showing us how a perfect human listens to a podcast. Nice. Oh, there you go. This is Blake uh, saying, not in any clever way, because I can't think of a way to make it work with this movie. Uh, to hydrate or you're going to dehydrate. And this is Brian. Thanks so much for listening and please watch this film. Bye. You know it. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Mm-hmm.